We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed the dirty little secret is that many actually equate this type of violence with a genuine passionate and authentic footballing culture now as soccer continues to grow in the u.s and we continue to pick and choose what to adopt from other leagues and cultures and countries we have to guard against the tendency to conflate violence with authentic soccer passion and culture hello sunshine I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the inconvenient truth regarding violent fan behavior in the game. We'll also have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment, and we will have our World Cup Date segment, and so much more. But as always, joining me is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Masi? I am good. Uh, the jersey of choice today is Corinthians, a Brazilian club. It's a Ronaldo jersey, my favorite all-time player. He ended his career with them. So, Do you have any other affiliation just other than the fact that it is Brazilian and Ronaldo played for them? No, just Ronaldo. Are they, are they in the annals of uh, Brazilian soccer one of the best uh, yes, and in fact, this past weekend they won the Sao Paulo State Championship in dramatic fashion over their arch rivals Palmeiras. So nice! Did you have a good weekend? What did you do? I heard you went to a um, a bar. Oh no, sorry, you went to a pub. Excuse me. Yes, I went to the King's Head Pub in Santa Monica to watch the Manchester City Manchester United game. Fun times, obviously an incredible match, which we'll talk about. Yep. Do you, do you feel you have to call it a pub because it's a authentic English pub or whatever? Well, you we were talking about this off air. Is there a difference like between a pub and a bar, or do you think uh, there isn't? It's just uh, what you choose to call it. Well, if you want to be kind of douchey, then yeah, you call it a pub. Uh, but it's a bar. It's a bar. You're in the United States. It's a bar. And I, I get that there's an authentic aspect to it. Of Is there a difference? Eh, I guess in the person that's saying it, there, <laughs> there is in terms of how we react to them. Do you know what I did this weekend, Mossy? Uh, I did see a couple of pictures on Twitter, so I have a, an inkling. Yes. You are staring at a certified referee when it comes to AYSO. And if all goes as planned, in a couple of weeks, I will also be certified from U.S. soccer. So I spent my Saturday running around the fields here in Southern California. Uh, I spent two games doing AR work, because that was because of my first time since basically 35 years ago when I was a 13-year-old uh, in Detroit. And I, I was at AR for a couple of games, and then I got my feet wet, and I felt good, and I said, all right, well, I'm going to do a center. I went home, and I even signed up for a game that I saw I didn't have a center referee. I came back, and I was a center referee. The highlight of the weekend for me from a refereeing perspective was calling back a goal because the player was offside, crushing a 10-year-old's spirit. But you know what? It had to be done. There were a few boos and a few oohs and ahs, even though it was AYSO, but it, it, the kid was offside. I'm sorry. You got to learn the, the rules. Uh, you have to know the laws, and it has to start at a younger age. You get those boos anywhere you go. I get it. But is. let me ask you this. Um, this week in the Champions League, if there's a controversial refereeing decision, do we go to you or Dr. Joe Macknick? We now have two refereeing experts. I, in I our wouldn't ranks. call myself an expert yet, but it, I, I'll tell you what. I've gone in front of 100,000 people, and it was less nerve wracking than going out out there. I was nervous. I was nervous about it, but it was good. It makes you think about the game. It makes you see the game in different ways. Uh, I, I did it just because I thought it would be interesting. 
and I want to keep doing it. I have the bug now. I want to keep refereeing and, and figuring out that part of the game because it's something that I haven't done, obviously, for a long time. Can I be the one to send Dr. Joe that email? Like, in lieu of the fact that Alexi is now your referee, we won't be needing your services anymore, Dr. Joe. No, no, don't worry. <laughs> Dr. Joe is going to be employed for a long time. He has nothing to fear from me. All right. Should we get this thing going? Let's do it. All right. Let's light this candle. As always, we start our show with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's that time again, time for my State of the Union, where I tell you how I feel about the state of soccer in the United States. Last week, the scenes outside Anfield for the Liverpool vs. Man City Champions League game included the Man City away team bus being pelted by rocks and debris as it arrived at the stadium. This violence has now become part of that story. Now, it came as no surprise that publicly many, including media coaches and players, denounced the actions and lamented this misguided attempt to support the team. But the dirty little secret? is that many actually equate this type of violence with a genuine, passionate, and authentic footballing culture. The simmering cauldrons inside and outside of the stadiums around the world are well-documented, and the tribal atmosphere that manifests in supporters' culture is celebrated in media, film, song, and folklore. There's a reason why we at Fox showed the Anfield bus scene in our pregame show. While it certainly was newsworthy, it also stoked the fire and visually reinforced the intensity and passion surrounding the game that the viewers were about to watch. Now, as soccer continues to grow in the U.S. and we continue to pick and choose what to adopt from other leagues and cultures and countries, we have to guard against the tendency to conflate violence with authentic soccer passion and culture. So far, the American soccer supporters culture has done a really good job of policing itself and rejecting that notion. Yes, a few bad apples will always spoil the bunch, but in the U.S., we're growing some pretty good apples. Let's just hope it stays that way. And that has been my State of the Union for this week. All right, Mossy, thoughts on uh, the uh, actions and activities surrounding this game and outside this game this past week, and in general, as it relates to our sport. I agree with you. The story that's always stuck with me was back in 2005, Sao Paulo played River Plate in the Copa Libertadores semifinals. The first leg was in Brazil. And the River Plate fans clashed with some Paulo fans in the stands and with police, and they vowed revenge in the return leg in Buenos Aires. And so there was a lot of tension leading up to that second leg. And I remember reading stories in the Brazilian paper about these Sao Paulo fans that were going to Buenos Aires for the game, saying goodbye to their parents and telling them, if I never see you again, I love you and stuff like that. And that's just crazy to me. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I agree with you. Look, when you go to these other countries, I was just in Europe in December, in England and France. Uh, I go to Brazil from time to time to visit my family. And you do love the passion you see in those countries. And, and part of you wishes the U.S. could be like that. But there's a balance there. I mean, nobody should fear for their lives when they go to a soccer match. And it does go way overboard in these other countries. And, and I'm happy that the U.S. Uh, hasn't fallen to that trap. I hope in this country I never have to fear for my life when I go to a soccer game. Sure. But but there is an element you, you would uh, you would. Ed admit, and I guess it's just a human element and the mob mentality and the fight, fight, fight type of thing that you you are elevated. You, you're, your senses are, are, are elevated and you react differently when you see that. And there are many, and I, I get it. I understand. Look, it's, it's also, it's not just a, a us and them type of thing. There is certainly violence that happens regarding sports. We, we, we tend to see it oftentimes when people win championships and it's happened before with Super Bowls and, and World Series and that, and that kind of stuff. But that's always just, just huge groups of people together, together. By the way, huge groups of people, even in the same city that are all kind of fighting amongst each other as opposed to fans versus uh, versus other fans. But certainly relative to soccer and relative to scenes around the world, uh, we we are not even close, uh, even close to that level. But you do understand how people sometimes feel that that is represented. People always, oftentimes, as an American, tell me, you can't understand how passionate it is. You can't understand that it's a religion for us. And then they use these moments as examples as to, as to why it is something that me as an American, I couldn't possibly understand. I get it. I understand that. That's not just completely a, a foreign experience or only someone that's not American can understand that. Everybody can get that. It doesn't mean we have to do it. And by the way, if being authentic means having that type of behavior and mentality, then I am happy that the American soccer culture is inauthentic and not genuine. I will have that forever because they, as I said in my State of the Union, I think we've done a very, very good job of policing ourselves and recognizing what, 
what really matters when it comes to being an authentic and passionate fan? Yeah, and this isn't the reason not to do crazy stuff, but there is also, if you want to just be selfish about it, you can hurt your own team. Can you imagine if a Manchester City player had been seriously injured and all of a sudden Liverpool had to forfeit the game? And we've seen that all the time where teams have to dock points or play in front of empty stadiums, and you end up hurting your own team when you do crazy stuff like that. So even just for that, that's reason enough not to do it. But of course, you shouldn't do it because it's wrong. And uh, so I agree with you. It is an issue that the fan culture around the world it can get too crazy. It crosses a line. But, but you also understand, so I get asked all the time about playing in Central America and, and places that I've played around the world. And I get asked by soccer people, and I also get asked by non-soccer people. Because you know what? They know, I know what the story they want to hear is. They want to hear about bags of urine being thrown. They want to hear about the batteries being thrown and the coins and the screws and all the different things. And that has all happened in different places that I've been. Because those type of stories, for, for a lot of people, vividly illustrate this this passion that then they say doesn't exist in the United States because because that doesn't happen and i just i ref, i refuse to accept that but i but i respect and understand why it resonates with people these type of stories and these types of image and when it comes to news just in general we are we are certainly no better than anybody else in terms of it bleeds it leads there's a reason why and the the shot that people are going to want to see on the return leg now is now the liverpool bus making its way through the uh, through the streets of manchester right that's that's the money shot right now starting off the show yeah, the, the bags of urine, I don't mind too much. We, we could probably adopt that in this country. But uh, I was going to ask you, what is the most hostile atmosphere you've ever experienced in, in your whole playing career? Is there any place where you actually like feared for your, your safety? Uh, I, I didn't fear for it only because I, I, I always approached it as a performance. I, I, and, and you know this. I make no apologies for the fact that I've always considered myself an entertainer and performer. And I go out on stage. I wear a costume. Uh, I play a part. It doesn't mean that it's not truthful and genuine or that I don't take it seriously or that I'm not competitive when it comes to the sport that I'm playing. But I always approached it almost like with a punk ethos where I loved the fact that there was a stadium that hated me. I loved to have not just insults, but stuff rained down on me. I never feared for my life. I, 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 I spit on me, throw stuff at me, call me names, do, do all that kind of stuff. I loved that Thunderdome type of existence to go into. Now, that's just me. Uh, there are others that, that aren't glutton for punishment and don't, you know, uh, I'm sure there's doctors out there that could diagnose what it, what it actually is, but I enjoy that. Maybe even more so than people saying how great you are. I mean, and maybe that's me. So, but that's a long way of answering your question. So a lot of times people say, Azteca Stadium and that kind of stuff. For me, the most intimidating and wonderful, in a strange sense, environment that I've been through, and it really epitomized that Thunderdome-esque type of arena, was the old Saprissa Stadium in Costa Rica. Because it was so close, it was just so... It was the proverbial cauldron, and it was on fire. And yes, they threw everything. It was a lot easier to get to us because of the, the smaller distances. And it was this, this tinderbox. And it was harder to play for me in the old Saprissa Stadium in Costa Rica than it was to play in Azteca. Did anything in Italy compare to those CONCACAF atmospheres? They threw stuff and did all that kind of stuff and burned American flags. I remember going to take a corner kick <laughs> once and seeing an American flag burning in the corner and that kind of stuff. And in Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, now, now to, be, to be fair, the powers that be, whether it's the federations, whether it's the leagues, whether it's the teams, they have done incredible things in order to try to curtail it as much as, uh, much as possible. And... Uh, also, this this incident we're talking about happened on the streets of the uh, of of the city, as opposed to in the grounds or or right around the grounds. And there's there's only so much you can do and so much responsibility that you have. But if you saw the video, both the video outside the bus and the video actually taken inside the bus, it is amazing and it is constant. It's not just one or two bad apples, as as we said. This is a whole bushel of bad apples and the mob mentality because there are some probably some very good people that just saw it happening and said, "Well, everybody else is doing it. I, I can jump in on it. Uh, jump in on it too." I hope I hope we don't see it again. But I think it is a little disingenuous for a lot, especially in the media, to come out and say, "Oh, this is horrible." But but we use it oftentimes to promote and advertise 
how exciting and how authentic and how genuine and how passionate this sport actually is. So you're criticizing our producer, Zach Kenworthy, a diehard <laughs> Liverpool fan, no, incidentally. He, he would not be doing his job if he didn't show that because it definitely was <laughs> no, part no, of the story. And he showed it more because of how alarmed he was by yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I... I thought we covered that the right I way. Think we, I think we covered it the right way. And it's, and it's an incredible balance. I don't envy his job or any producer's job because you're, you're, you're faced with having, look, this is a part of the story story because the entire world is talking about it. And if you don't talk about it, then you are ignoring that part of story. But you also face the potential of glorifying something that we all know doesn't deserve to be glorified, even though privately a lot of us do. Uh, please subscribe and rate and review and send us your questions, your comments, your concerns. Do you agree? Do you not agree? Do you think I'm right? Do you think I'm wrong? Do you think Mossy's right? Do you think he's wrong? Let us know how you feel. And you never know. We might talk about you and your comments on future episodes. Okay, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, it's that time again. Time for Mossy makes the case. David Mossy, what do you have for the people this week? Alexi, my case this week is that, fairly or unfairly, Pep Guardiola does need to win another Champions League title without Messi to achieve universal acclaim. That seems to be where his critics have placed the goalpost. Now, I thought dominating the Premier League to the degree that he has. And listen, I know throwing away a two-goal lead against United, not clinching the title against him was incredibly frustrating, but ultimately it's insignificant. He's going to win the title, and he's going to win it by a margin comparable to the ones he won in Germany, and he's going to rack up a points total comparable to the ones he had in Spain, which I was told was not possible because the Premier League was so much more competitive, but he's done it. And yet, in the lead-up to this United game this past weekend, when everybody thought he was going to clinch the title, the adulation was tempered somewhat by what happened against Liverpool in the Champions League. The knives were out for him after that match. And I was reminded again, there's a faction of people out there that don't buy into this whole Pep thing. They think he's overrated. They think he's just had great players. They view him as almost like a Phil Jackson figure. And the tiki-taka is like the triangle offense. Sure, it works when you have that talent. But the thing I kept hearing over and over again after that Liverpool uh, first leg was he hasn't won a Champions League title without Messi. He hasn't won one since he left Barcelona. So it really drove home the point for me that for a lot of people out there, that's still the final frontier he has to conquer until he achieves, like I said, this universal acclaim. Uh, is that the sense you get? And, and if so, do you think it's fair? Well, well, first off, let me ask you a question, Mossy. You started off your Mossy Makes the Case with a very interesting little trio of words there. Fairly or unfairly? Do you think that it's fair or do you think that it's unfair? I think it's unfair. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you think it's unfair and it's uh, uh, to expect that from him right now in terms of how we judge him or what what level we put him on? Yeah, the Champions League, it's such a difficult competition where one bad night can sink you. And, and we are living in the era of Messi and Ronaldo. When you have teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona in the competition, to demand that anybody else has to win it uh, to prove that they're... It's, to me, it's tough. It's tough to put that on him. I, I think he, there's other ways just with his work with Man City in the Premier League where he can sort of... Uh, okay, but w- with the exception of last year, let's say, w- would it be would it be fair to say that he has been at the helm of each and every year that he has coached either Barcelona, Bayern Munich, or, or Man City, with the exception of, uh, exception of last year, probably, where he has been at the helm of one of the top four teams in the world? Yes, I would say that. Okay, so now he made his name at Barcelona. And we're waiting for that moment where he can do it again. Now, this is where I give him a pass. In, in, in our sport, and it drives me nuts, in our sport, we have so many people, and it's not just media. It's coaches. I was with coaches over the last couple of weeks that did the same thing. It's players that talk about style of play, about identity, about philosophy. And yet, when you really pin them down, they can't identify it. Or, or they can't justify it in terms of what they are doing. Pep Guardiola is one of the few that actually comes out and says, I am going to play like this. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do it when, when the going gets rough and when I either don't have the players or I'm just in a situation that maybe others would say, let's get more pragmatic or let's, let's change it. I'm not. And I'm going to empower my players in those moments to keep doing what I believe in because ultimately he is a romantic. That's where he gets a pass. So I don't think that he needs to, to, to do that. And he is specific because of what he's doing. Because in my mind, he is one of the few coaches that I have seen 
that actually can say, this is how I want to play, and then I can actually see it on the field. I don't have to agree with it, uh, but I have to respect it, and I think others have to respect it because the, the, the pragmatism that coaches and some very, very good coaches out there approach the game with, while it can be very, very successful, ultimately, there's a reason we call it the beautiful game, and we all have different versions of what that beauty is, but I think that Pep is the, is the one, not the one person, but one of the very few that lives up to what his version and his vision of the beautiful game is. And I think that requires respect. And I think it requires additional patience. And I think that's what, for me, justifies the fact that he does not need to do that. But, but I, I go back to what I originally said, where it's not for lack of talent, all right? He's not doing this with Stoke. He's not doing this with the Philadelphia Union. With all due respect to Philly, I know they're better this year, but let's. Uh, but but he has been been given the keys to elite teams with some of the best players that have ever played the game, and it's a lot easier to do that with the with that wonderful car that he has been able to drive at multiple at mo- three three different wonderful cars. If you really look at it. Yeah, I mean, we're living in the super club era, and you have to judge managers in the context of their situation. So I don't even know how to compare the job Pep does at his clubs to like the job that, say, somebody at Stoke does. They're living in different worlds with their own sets of challenges. There is something to be said for having to manage egos at these big clubs and the expectations. So I think we have to judge Pep within that context. But I will say one fair criticism of him. Uh, you're right. He's great at at, at uh, instilling a style of play and identity. And I think over the course of a long league campaign, getting teams to play at just such a high level of football week in, week out, that lends itself to winning league titles. But he's not the greatest game manager. If you put him in a big game, he tends to overthink it sometimes. And he did it again in that first leg against Liverpool, not playing Raheem Sterling, playing Gundogan instead. It left City very crooked. Everything was down that left side with Sané. Liverpool were able to gang up uh, and stop him. They also played, he also played De Bruyne deeper than he had been playing. He was very sp- by that 4-3 loss to Liverpool in January. He felt like he had to go a little bit more conservative and it backfired. They still conceded three goals and they had zero shots on target, which is unbelievable. So, and there's been examples of that in the past. So that would be one criticism of his. And you put him in a big game sometimes and just managing that game, the tactics, he can sometimes get it wrong. So so you submit that it's not that he said, come hell or high water, I'm sticking with what I believe in. And, and, and you're not saying that he was romantic and that's what failed him. You're actually saying that to a certain extent, he deviated from his romance and that's what got him in trouble in yeah, that first to, leg. Ooh, to interesting. To a certain extent. Interesting. Well, see, that, that, that is legitimate. And that for me as a pep believer, that would break my heart. Because well, not too much. It's I, not like I, listen, I know. I'm just I mean, saying in general. I, but if, if I put somebody up on a pedestal and because of the fact that I believe they are true believers and that they are these romantics and they do stick to a way of playing and a philosophy, then if and when that moment comes and they deviate from it, that will break my heart. I, I, I don't necessarily agree that, that that happened the other day, but if, if Pep goes away from that, I don't want Pep to be pragmatic. A couple things. I've also read a lot that Zidane has sort of replaced Pep as the best manager in the world. There's starting to be a lot of recognition for the job Zidane is doing. But it's interesting because he presumably is going to leave Real Madrid at some point and go somewhere else. And if he stumbles there, is there going to be this thing too? Well, he only won it at Real Madrid with Ronaldo. I know you've said in a lot of our meetings, you think he's the perfect manager for Real Madrid, but the jury is still out on whether he's a great manager, period, because we haven't seen him in any other context. I mean, this is this is the when we're, when we're judging managers all. How can I judge you as a manager? Which is, by the way, a coach. I know we call it coaches here, and it's managers different ways. And even if you're a coach, you're still managing players. But how can I judge you if all you've done is coach the best players in the world? And I'm not taking away the importance and the skill and the quality required in order to coach the best players in the world. But once again, and I think I asked you this on a previous pod, if you took all the players in La Liga, and had a draft, like an MLS draft, God forbid, right? And so everyone was spread out equally. And so now Zinedine Zidane just had 23 players that he drafted. But now you have a parody in La Liga. Would Zinedine Zidane still be viewed in this light? I, 
I, I don't think so. That's what coaching is. And this aspect of actually coaching players and coaching them up and getting players as a team and individually to play above themselves, which is ultimately what coaching is, I feel like that's just gone out the window. And so it's very difficult for me to, to, to judge play, uh, coaches against other coaches when their situations are so dramatic, especially over in Europe, so dramatically different. And I would love to see Pep coach Stoke. I would love to see Zinedine Zidane coach, I don't know, give me a, give me a team, uh, Malaga? Or, let's, <laughs> let's send them way down <laughs> and see what they really are. Because if they are really good coaches, they can't just be really good coaches coaching great players. The other thing I read recently that I thought was interesting was about Klopp. And, you know, Pep and Mourinho's track record is that they go to a club, they only stay two, three, four years, and then they leave. So there's this pressure to succeed right away. Well, there seems to be this feeling that Klopp is playing the long game here. Remember, he was at Mainz for seven years and Dortmund at seven years. So he doesn't mind staying at a club for a long time. And he could see himself spending the next decade at Liverpool. So he's actually building something for the long term there and perhaps waiting those two guys out and that he's going to come out of this better position to win Premier League titles in, say, years four, five, and six of him at Liverpool. I mean, you think there might be something to to that. I mean, where do you see this whole idea of guys that like to move around and go to different clubs every three or four years versus a guy trying to build something long term in the same place? I think that Klopp has played his cards perfectly uh, because I think he will emerge from all of this after the others are, are jettisoned or leave or go on as somebody, as you, as you said, who's not just quality, but uh, has a plan and an understanding and a long term type of philosophy and a commitment to the teams uh, to the teams that he is uh, that he is with. So I think I think Klopp is just beautifully smiling and waiting in the shadows and saying, "You guys can scream and yell about Mourinho and Zidane and and uh, and Pep and all that kind of stuff." And I'm just and <laughs> Arsenal's not a problem anymore. So Arsenal's not a uh, not a problem, and I'm just going to uh, continue on through. He is he is sitting pretty right now. But I, I'll leave you with this: in this compare and contrast with coaches, there's also a very different approach and compare and contrast when you when you have a coach who's been successful at a club level and then has to go to the international level because that's a very different type of coaching and I'd be interested to see how some of these coaches that we put on pedestals from a club perspective what they would do at the international level I agree with you that would be fascinating they, they all talk about wanting to do it at some point late in their careers uh so yeah I think at some point before it's all said and done Pep Mourinho Klopp will all see these guys managing national teams I, I I've, I've met so many international coaches that privately have told me, look, it's, it's a good gig and I enjoy it, but they miss that juice of day in and day out coaching because ultimately they are coaches, whether they're good or bad, they're still coaches and they enjoy that day in and day out coaching uh, that just doesn't exist at the international level. It's a very, very different type, which is why Yogi Love is, is, is wonderful as this international coach. And if we were to see him continue on and leave after this summer, let's say, and where would he join and how would he look now? Whatever. It's been how eight years? More than 2004 that. was Jeez, his last club. My job. goodness. So the game has changed. Has <laughs> he changed? So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Another Mossy makes the case in the books. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Yes, as you heard, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment, our segment where we answer your questions that you have submitted on social media through Twitter and Facebook with the Ask Alexi hashtag. Please send them all, and you never know, David Mossy, as he's about to do, might read your question, and we will answer them. All right, what do the people want to know this week, David? And first up, at Alex Ramirez7731. You and Rob Stone made epic media content with Zlatan last weekend. How have you found Zlatan to be off camera? So we had the first nationally broadcast interview with Zlatan. And uh, I think I mentioned last week that my friend Rob Stone, uh, the consummate pro, actually brought a... Uh, a bottle of, uh, of Zlatan's cologne that Rob Stone has, and he sprayed it around. And that really, I think, put him at ease for this. But I will tell you that I think he was a little bit nervous because this was his first experience. And I think everything really sunk in that he was appearing on uh, American television and that this was his new life in America. Not that he's nervous to play the game or that he's never been on television, but this is, a, this is not just a move to a different club. This is a move to a very different environment and culture. And I think, I think he embraces it. I think he loves it, but I think it really, it, it sunk in. But he knew his lines. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. I, I was, I, I had never met him before and he was incredibly cordial 
the stories that I have heard just over the last couple of weeks in terms of the things that he has done, he is very, very intelligent. And I think he understands the character that he plays at times. And I think he understands the impact that he can have on people. And I'm not just talking about putting the ball in the, in the net, but the impact that he can have on, on soccer, on fans, on the LA Galaxy staff, his part in the business of the LA Galaxy, and his respect and his admiration for a lot of people. I think he's gone out of his way to make himself available, uh, not just media-wise, which I think is expected, but behind the scenes, I've heard uh, that he's been very, very upfront and available for everybody to make sure that everybody understands that he's here to work, he's here to have a good time, and he's here to help everybody. So in a nutshell, I have yet to see anything negative from Zlatan. Early days, only a couple weeks in, but so far so good. And I know he didn't score in the second game, but he did come in. And once again, I got to tell you, the atmosphere from watching that game changed, but more importantly, the attitude and the body language and the attack mind and the mindset of the Galaxy completely changed when he got into the game because the Galaxy against Kansas City, uh, they lost the game ultimately, but the Galaxy was not good. And as soon as he stepped on the field with about 30 minutes to go, it changed. And they, they had a consistency, they had an urgency that was missing. So I think it's really, really hard to look at this Galaxy and judge them without Zlatan on the field because he fundamentally changes the way that they play and the attitude that they bring to the game. Now, uh, Zlatan, represented by an agent called Mino Raiola, who also represents Paul Pogba, which makes for a neat little segue here. At Big Nick, do you think Pogba will stay with United this summer? Now, the interesting development is this guy Mino Raiola has been taking shots at Pep Guardiola for a long time. So in the lead-up to this United game, Pep said in his press conference, if I'm such a bad guy, why was he offering Pogba to me in January? Uh, which was quite it the was revelation. And, and to be fair, Grant Wall reported on our Champions League show that Mino Raiola was running around trying to find a new club for Paul Pogba. So it did get that bad, his situation with Mourinho United. Now, two goals this past weekend, playing better. I think that situation's been diffused just enough that I think he'll definitely be back next season. But what do you make of the whole Pogba So, so wait, game? you score two goals and you beat Manchester City and you play and now everything's fine? It's not as if he's a different player. He got two goals. It was great. It was a wonderful moment, but it doesn't change the circumstance. I don't think it changes the relationship. Now, what I will say is that I think the way that the relationship between Mourinho and Pogba has been portrayed is a lot more severe than it may actually be. But Paul Pogba, he's not going to suffer fools, neither is is Mourinho, and he's going to want to be at a place where he is loved and where and and where he is playing consistently. And he, Paul Pogba is obviously a player that responds to the pat on the back as opposed to the kick in the ass. And I know you have to sometimes balance when you, when you give a little bit of one and, and, and a little bit of the other, but he needs the arm around him. And I don't know how much going forward he's going to get. Now, if he's scoring and everything's and he's playing and everything's fine, that's good. But I don't think it necessarily changes the relationship or the environment that he is in. Because I don't... I don't see Paul Pogba enjoying the environment that he is in right now, even when he scores a couple goals and they beat Man City. That, that will just cover up what the problems are. It's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid, exactly. All right. At Tony A. Barca 13, do you think Barcelona will stay undefeated in La Liga? There are seven rounds to go. The last Invincibles in Spain was Real Madrid in 1932. Looking at the fixture list, they still have, obviously, a home game against Real Madrid. They have a home game against Valencia. Keep an eye on away to Celta Vigo next week. Celta Vigo, a pretty good team. Iago Aspas, my favorite Liverpool flop, is killing it again in Spain this season. Uh, They drew 2-2 at Camp Nou, so that might be a game where they get picked off. Now, listen, their chances of going unbeaten is whether Messi wants to try to go for it or not, because the degree to which he's carrying them this season, uh, hat-trick this past weekend against Leganes, uh, came to the rescue against Sevilla recently, a game they should have lost. They were down 2-0 late. And and it's funny, because here we are talking about Barcelona going unbeaten and possibly winning the treble, and yet there are people out there that think this is the worst Barcelona team in the last 10 years. So it's it's a funny kind of juxtaposition position but here they are and if they if they end up doing that and then real madrid ends up winning champions league how how are they viewed in the context of real madrid absolutely yeah so i look i i don't think they go to undefeated i think at some point over the you said six is the, seven games seven left. games yeah. yes i think that they they come up against somebody as you said not necessarily real madrid or something like that but uh, yeah i don't think that the, i don't think that it happens right now and i think 
I think their bigger problem is this thorn that is going to be Real Madrid. And if they try to celebrate without having that Champions League be part of it, and more importantly, having Real Madrid with the Champions League, I think it's going to be real, real hard for them to prop themselves up as anything but, okay, but you didn't get it all. That is it. All right. That is our Ask Alexi segment. As I said, please send your uh, questions, Twitter, Facebook, uh, with the Ask Alexi hashtag, and someday you may live in a world where David Mossy reads your question on the State of the Union podcast. Moving on, coming around the backstretch here. World Cup update. Yes, as you heard, it is time for our World Cup date. We are 66 days away from the Men's World Cup this summer in Russia. I can smell it. I can smell it. Mossy, who are we updating this week when it comes to World Cups? Players, teams, what, what's, what's the deal this week? Today we are going to delve into the Brazil attack. Ooh. Uh, we talked about how uh, one of the neat subplots of this Liverpool-Man City tie was that it was, it was pitting two Brazilian center forwards that are going to be at the World Cup, Roberto Firmino and Gabriel Jesus. Uh, round one clearly went to Firmino, which is frankly no surprise uh, because he's been the better player this season, and that's triggered talk of why isn't he starting because Jesus is the projected starter of the summer. Uh, and the interesting thing is that that talk started in England this season, but it hadn't really seeped over to Brazil yet until recently. And now I hear a lot of people in Brazil having that conversation, which is funny because Roberto Firmino didn't have much of a career in Brazil and people don't follow Liverpool that intensely. So until recently, people were questioning why he was even in the squad. There's uh, this analyst, this guy named Casa Grande, he was a former player, played in the 86 World Cup, and he's a recovering drug addict, and I think he was under the influence when he made this comment. He actually <laughs> campaigned for Joe to be in the World Cup squad and said he was a better player than Firmino. Now, you remember Joe from the 2014 I do, World Cup. I do. Does he strike you as a better player than Roberto Firmino? I remember Firmino? him because we, we uh, as uh, I think I told this last week on the Potter a couple weeks ago about um, the pronunciation problems that we have with yes. Fred G and stuff like that for a guy called Fred. We debated on what to call Joe, too. We're calling him Joe? Yes, yes. And he is a quite ordinary Joe in my eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, in any event, we've gone from that to people thinking that Joe should be ahead of him in the squad to now a lot of people suggesting he should start instead of Gabriel Jesus at the World Cup. But correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and I listen to most of the stuff that you say. Some, sometimes I even retain it. And in this case, if I'm not mistaken, you had made a case about how it's not even a question that Gabriel Jesus is going to start and Firmino is going to be the odd man out, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel Jesus helped himself. He got the winner against Germany over this last international break. He's come back from injury, looked okay, scored some goals for City. If he's healthy and in decent enough form, he's going to get the nod this summer. There are tactical reasons behind that. I explained this a couple weeks ago, but I'll explain it again. Uh, With Liverpool, Firmino plays with two pacey wingers and Salah and Mane who like making these diagonal runs without the ball into the box. So it makes sense having that playmaking center forward that's going to drop back and leave the space open in front of him and slip balls underneath. With Brazil, it's different. Those positions are manned by Neymar and then either Coutinho or Willian, who are wingers that are really more playmakers, like to pick up the ball and run with it themselves. And so you actually need a more traditional center forward that's going to make incisive runs into the box and leave the space behind them for those guys coming in. So he's actually a much better fit. And it's played out that way in qualifying, frankly. Uh, Jesus was Brazil's leading scorer in qualifying, did really well. Firmino, the the few chances he got did not look that good. So I actually think in Chichi's mind, this is not that big of a debate. He did concede an interview recently that he's going to, in certain situations, he wouldn't object to playing both of them together, not as a starting lineup, because that could affect how much room Neymar has to operate. But if you're chasing a game late, trailing, that he's not um, opposed to playing them both together. But Jesus, I think, will will start. Well, this highlights a phenomenon that we see each and every World Cup, and I'm not telling you or anybody else out there, or certainly any coaches, uh, anything new, and that is uh, we talk about being in form. And this, this, this strange concept of being in form, anybody that's playing well or scoring goals, they, they are in form. And you have to really be careful uh, not to say, well, this player's in form playing for this club team, and therefore it's automatically going to translate to the national team. I guarantee there will be players that we quote, see in form that are, pl- that are doing well with their club team that are going to suck at the World Cup. And the opposite is true, too. There are going to be some players that weren't doing anything, maybe even weren't starting, that they're going to get in that Russian summer air and things are just completely changed for them. We saw that happen, um, who was it, uh, Miroslav Klosar. I mean, the, the, there's just some players that respond well to the international game. And it's not as simple as, 
well, this spark plug is in this great car that's going really fast. So I'm going to take this spark plug out of this car and put it in, in this car, and then it's going to do the exact same thing. It, it doesn't work. It, it definitely doesn't work like that, and we see it time and time again. That's so true. It, it, I found that everybody, they follow their own national team, but everybody else's national team, they base all their opinions on the club, club pedigree of the players. It's like no, nobody's watching these random friendlies that another country's playing and, and all their matches and qualifying. So it's all based on, well, this guy looks better at club level than this guy, so why isn't starting and it's not that simple coaches have to balance that out with what they've actually done for the national team certain guys fit in better to what the team is at international level so uh, yeah you're right that that is something that people lose sight of I I get Premier League folk all the time telling me why isn't Ederson starting instead of Ali Solon goal now that one is is they just show how clueless they are because Ali Solon has been absolutely phenomenal for Roma he's been like a top five goalkeeper in the world he's like the Davi De Gea of Serie A worth like 10 points for them this season. But by the way, he's also been excellent for Brazil, so there's been no reason to drop him. And and so there's things like that. People don't see the whole picture. They only base it on what they see at club level, and they insert their biases of what club they root for, what league they follow, and so... And, and we'll, we'll end it with this. Uh, what, we, what we don't see a lot anymore, and this is, this is the exception to the rule when it comes to equating club performance with international performance, is you remember when the Italian teams used to take almost an entire back four from AC Milan in different places and then play them also with the national team? There's a little bit that's happened with Juventus and, uh, and Italy right now, but we don't see a whole lot of that. So it's different. If you're playing with others in the same type of formation, uh, there's an understanding that's developed on the field, and then you're putting multiple players from the same team uh, that have that have played well together into uh, inserting it into a lineup. That's a little bit different. But the one one and one thing. W- watch this summer. There will be players that you say, "How is this guy so good?" When I see him play week in and week out for Team X, and then I see him on this field. Well, it's because unless that Team X is going to the World Cup, it's apples and oranges, my friend. All right, that's been our World Cup date. 66 days out from the World Cup this summer. Cannot wait. All right, moving on. The back three. Yes, it's our back three. We are coming down the home stretch here. Uh, Mossy, what do we have in our back three that gives us some of the biggest stories and games and moments involved in soccer here and abroad? All right, let's start with the UEFA Champions League. The quarterfinals conclude this week. We're taping this on a Monday. Tomorrow, Tuesday, it will be Man City-Liverpool and Roma-Barcelona. Then Wednesday, Real Madrid-Juventus and Bayern Munich-Sevilla. I think most people think that the only tie that's not done and dusted is the City-Liverpool, so we can go there first. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that it's a 3 nothing result and people are pointing to that one as the one that's not dusted? And I'll tell you, I think this one is pretty close to dusted. Not because I don't think City can score three goals at home against Liverpool, though even that's going to be a tall order right. because Liverpool have really improved defensively. City didn't get a shot on goal in the first leg, but they could do that. That's plausible to me. But the part I can't see is them keeping Liverpool from scoring because City have reverted to last season's form defensively. They've looked awful the last two games, conceded six times. And, you know, Klopp is not stupid. He's not going to sit back. He knows that one goal kills the tie. It would mean City would have to get five. And so we'll see about Mohamed Salah. He picked up an injury in that first leg, didn't play at the weekend against Everton. But if he's in there with Firmino and Mane, I don't know, the way that Liverpool attack is going and the way City's back line has been the last two games. I can't see Liverpool not scoring, and that would put that tie to bed. You think, huh? Yeah. I'm going to say they do it. They pull off the comeback? Yeah. Let's say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's going to be three. They're going for the fourth. It ends three, and then they go on and they win it. So, oh, yeah. oh. so Bayern return home. Ends three in regulation, excuse me. Right, right. Yeah. Bayern return home up 2-1 against Sevilla. I can't see Sevilla. Even though they won 2-1 at Old Trafford in the last round, this is a whole different kettle of fish here. Would you rather see in the final four, because we know it's going to be Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then would you rather see Man City or, or Liverpool in that final four? Just from a pure soccer standpoint, what's, what, what do you think is better for you, you specifically? Probably slightly would rather see City, only because they've been the best team in England all season. And, and But Liverpool wouldn't look out of place to there, too. They're a fun team to watch with Salah and Klopp and, and obviously great history there and that atmosphere at Anfield. So it's only a slight preference for City. Uh, the only thing I, I, else I would say, Bar- Barcelona go to Italy up 4-1 against Roma. That, that I can't see anything happening there. And then Real Madrid return home with a 3-0 lead over Juventus. One interesting note on Real Madrid, they played Atletico this past weekend, and Ronaldo got subbed off in the 60th minute of a 1-1 game. And it's interesting because a few days ago, uh, L'Equipe, the French publication, reported that ahead of the 2016-17 season, Zidane pulled Ronaldo aside. They had a chat, and Zidane said, if you trust me and if you let me, 
manage your minutes a little bit. I'm going to prolong your career. And he's done that. And we saw another example of that this weekend. I mean, when can you ever remember? And Ronaldo, by the way, was playing great. It scored right, a beautiful right. goal. But they are playing their arch rivals at the Bernabeu. 1-1, second half. The game's in the balance. 60th minute. And Ronaldo gets subbed off. And it was, it was stunning. But they obviously have one eye on uh, the Champions League and Juventus. And he doesn't want to fool around with the second leg. And so, uh, to me, it was just a window into his thinking. And, and, and Ronaldo didn't complain, walked off, seemed fine. There was no issue. So I thought well, that was fascinating. That's managing. I mean, that's, that's having an understanding and, more importantly, a level of respect with the players that you have that even in a moment like that, well, no player likes to get subbed off, but that, and especially Cristiano Ronaldo, to have that type of, rea- of reaction, that says a lot between their relationship. And probably if it's a manager who was just some Joe Schmo as a player, yeah. maybe he reacts differently, but it's Zinedine Zidane, he knows a little something about, you know, playing at a high level at an advanced age and all that, so... A, a little something, yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, so you say of the, of the one that we're actually... We're not worried about or could possibly change. You're saying that Liverpool goes through. I'm saying Man City goes through. And then are you in agreement with the other three? Oh, of course. Okay, yeah. those are the other three. So that's we'll have our final four one way or the other. Uh, I think it's just to be determined whether it's going to be Liverpool uh, or Man City. All right, what else? All right, let's move on to the CCL. As I unwrap my paper here, which I've been rolling like Jim Herrick throughout <laughs> this whole podcast, um, <laughs> Uh, CCL, big things potentially for MLS this week. So semifinal second legs. Uh, Toronto go to Mexico with a 3-1 aggregate lead over America. And the Red Bulls are home facing a highly surmountable 1-0 deficit against uh, Chivas. So could we be headed for an all-MLS final? You think at least one of them go through, right? That's what I predicted last week. I I think at least one of them go through. And I think, uh, look, as, as it was a really good result for Toronto, and but they're going to have their hands full. I think the New York Red Bulls have the best chance of going through because one nothing wasn't wasn't a problem, and Bradley uh, Phillips missed a breakaway. But the New York Red Bulls are a better team, and I don't care where they're playing. Whether they're playing in Mexico, whether they're playing in uh, in in New Jersey, uh, whether they're playing on the moon, the New York Red Bulls as a team are better than Chivas. Chivas is not a good team, so. I think this is the Red Bulls to lose. They should not only win, but they should win by multiple goals, and they should win in a comfortable fashion and go through to the final. Toronto, I think Toronto showed some real, uh, let's, you know, grit and that kind of stuff, but I think much more some real professionalism and understanding and experience in the way that they went about with their, with their result. But they're, they're going to be up against it. And as long as they can hold uh, Club America off in that beginning of that uh, game and don't even let them think that this is going to be uh, easy because if they get one, they'll get two, they'll get three, and then it could be, uh, it could be problematic. But we could be f- looking at a situation by the end of this week where we have Toronto versus the New York Red Bulls for the champions of CONCACAF. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And we'll end on this. Uh, the Bundesliga this weekend, Bayern Munich clinched their sixth straight title. So the intrigue now is who's going to finish in the top four. Both Schalke and Dortmund very well placed, although Schalke had a lousy result this weekend. They lost to Hamburg. Dortmund beat Stuttgart 3-0. Weston McKinney came on and played well in, in that Schalke game, and Pulisic scored a goal in uh, Dortmund's victory. So uh, you might recall my Mossy makes the case last weekend was regarding the U.S. influence You in demanded Germany. that America watch the Bundesliga, yep. Yep, uh, so we, we got a little taste of that this week. And uh, now uh, Schalke hosts Dortmund Next Sunday, FS1, uh, remember, they played an epic game earlier this season, 4-4. Dortmund had a 4-0 lead at halftime, and Schalke came roaring back. So we'll see. Hopefully Pulisic and McKinney both start that game, uh, and you know we've got a little buzz going here. Yeah, not only uh, an American versus an American, but obviously the battle for second right now. Uh, Christian Pulisic needed that goal. I think Dortmund needed that goal. And for my money, Dortmund was horrible the first half. It was a very strange game because uh, I was I was doing it uh, this weekend. We got up early and, and did it. And it was a cross, but who cares? You, you put the ball in dangerous areas and it goes in. It doesn't really matter. So take that to the bank, not a problem. Uh, but they were horrible the first half. And Christian Pulisic was the one shining light for them. So I think he was the man of the match for me, consistently get it, uh, doing what, what we've come to expect, but we haven't seen all the time. Getting that ball, taking players on, first thought to take players on. First thought, I'm going forward. Beating multiple players, getting consistent crosses off, either hitting with his right foot, uh, even going in the back of that, or cutting it back to his left foot and, and hitting things in. I thought he had a really, really good game. It bodes well for the future and for Dortmund because they are new, they are going to need to play better this weekend to be Chaka. And 
you know, if it's two, two Americans on the field, that's, that's a wonderful story. So uh, tune in. Regardless, tune in. If that match does a big rating, how much credit do I deserve uh, for that? If it has a what? If that Schalke Dortmund game does a huge rating on the heels of my Mossy makes the case. Mossy, I've, I've said consistently that any time, uh, not just Fox Sports, but just Fox in general has anything that we can celebrate and any type of success, either on or off air, I think it can always come back to you. You're like that seven degrees of, of David Mossy. It always comes back to you in some way, either something that you've written, something that you've said, either publicly or privately has influenced everything that we do here at Fox. That's how important you are uh, to all of us here at Fox. How was that? Was that good? Excellent. On the other <laughs> hand, if the game does a lousy rating, uh, perhaps then that could get turned back. On. No, no, people were so turned off by my pathetic appeal for bigger audience. All right. Uh, that's it for the back three, right? Yeah. All right. Well, we've come to the end of yet another episode here and at the end of each and every episode, we talk about our one big thing. And I want to do one and a half big things. Uh, my first thing is going to be this. I want to send out a congratulations to one of America's finest, a, uh, a woman who has represented the United States on and off the field uh, with such incredible success uh, and grace uh, over the years. And that is one Carly Lloyd, uh, who got her 100th goal, her 100th international goal for the United States. So congratulations to her. Uh, congratulations also because she is a Scarlet Knight, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. She is the greatest soccer player ever to come out of Rutgers University. And so I am so pleased for, uh, for her and for us as uh, the American soccer viewing public. Uh, and then I will end it with this, and it goes back to what we, uh, what we started. As we continue to grow as a soccer playing nation. Uh, and we continue to, uh, as I've said before, pick and choose the things on and off the field that we want from a sport that obviously has been played all around the world. We have this incredible advantage. We get to learn the lessons that have been learned over the years of other countries and cultures and leagues and teams and players. And that is the good and the bad. And we have this advantage to be able to create a unique sport in our country. And I think we have done a very, very good job so far. But as we go forward, in our, in our desire to be authentic, in our desire to be um, genuine in our passion, let's make sure that we pick and choose the good things that are out there. And there's a lot of good things out there, but there's also a lot of bad things. And so when it comes to this unfortunate association with violent behavior, uh, that soccer has. And there's a reason why when people in the United States that don't know anything about soccer think about soccer, the first thing that they often think about is fan violence. There's a reason. It's because of this unfortunate systemic and prolonged association with it. Let's make sure that that part of the game we don't equate with being passionate. We don't equate with being genuine. We don't equate with being authentic. And we can, we can build a unique and wonderful version of the game that takes all the best parts from around the world and says no thank you to all the worst parts. All right, Mossy, we've come to the end of yet another State of the Union podcast. I want to thank you. Uh, you can find David Mossy on Twitter at... At Statman Mossy. You can find me on Twitter at Alexi Lawless. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. Uh, hit us up when we're walking down the street. Let us know what you think. Use that Ask Alexi hashtag to let us know if you agree, you disagree. We will read uh, as many as we possibly can on the air and involve you in the show. I want to thank you once again for tuning in. We will see you again next week on the State of the Union podcast. And as always, size the day. <laughs>